You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we returned here with another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire. And here we have another Taco Tuesday episode of the show with our Taco Tuesday guest, and that is Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. Spencer, we're getting closer and closer to the start of training camp and then the preseason and then the 2021 regular season. How are you doing today? I'm not I'm not really starving for it yet, but I'm starting to want to watch football. I'm at the point of the year where I'm thinking about football again. It's been a while and I'm excited at the prospect of the preseason and training camp and college football getting kicked back up. And of course, the NFL once the regular season starts. So uh, the, the little tickle is there. But I'm not fully, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not drooling yet, but I will be in a couple of weeks. And I'm happy to hear that we're going to get the Cowboys on Hard Knocks. That'll be a fun one. So looking forward to uh, these, you know, months filled with football as training camp. But we, we got out of the last month without football. We have training camp football. So uh, if you want to look at it in a game sense, this is the last month without those. But uh, training camp around the corner, and it's an exciting time. Yeah, it, it is. And part of that, I think, especially for the Ravens, is they have a lot of new pieces coming in, but it's the returning guys, and this roster is very well-rounded. But I did want to talk to you today, Spencer, about some of those new guys coming in. So we'll start here in this first segment on the offensive side of the ball and talk a bit about the wide receivers first, Spencer. I wanted to get your opinion on just which of these new wide receivers coming in. So I'll, I'll kind of narrow it down to the big three of Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman, and Tylen Wallace. Obviously, sometimes veterans come in. They have that knowledge of the NFL game. They've been around the block a little bit, and they're able to produce well at a high level early on. But sometimes, you know, we see a player like a Justin Jefferson impact as a rookie who comes in and just lights the world on fire. And potentially Rashad Bateman has that potential, especially within this Ravens offense. So Spencer, what do you look at these three receivers, the new ones and Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace, who do you think out of those three is going to make the biggest impact in 2021? It's pretty close. I would think that Sammy Watkins, uh, obviously the the durability is a question there. He, he goes too hard in practice and he's banged himself up, but uh, it seems like he's got a real rapport he is a veteran. He knows how to handle NFL coverage. Uh, he, you know, performs under the brightest lights when he's when he's healthy. He had a huge game at Super Bowl in 2019. He was not healthy uh, very much so for this past one. But it's tough to say between Bateman and Watkins because you feel like Watkins is going to come in. He is learning a new offense, yes, but he is familiar to a degree with Greg Roman's offense, of course, having played under it uh, back in Buffalo. So it's uh, going to be a little bit of a learning curve, but not as much as someone who – uh, it's never been with that play caller before, that offensive coordinator before in that playbook, while there are plenty of new wrinkles. But ultimately, it feels like Watkins might come in and, and take a lot of starter snaps early on, a trusted veteran. And the Ravens usually don't uh, always thrust rookies into really high snap counts. Uh, it's interesting, you know, Hollywood Brown, his rookie year, week one, has that gigantic game against the Dolphins. Uh, 100, I believe it was 149 yards, two touchdowns, two very long touchdowns played great. I think he only played 15 snaps in that game. So that was a, a rare, efficient game from him. So it feels like Bateman, you know, looks like he has all the potential in the world to, to create at the line of scrimmage, to separate with his very sudden breaks. And of course, he's a huge threat after the catch. One of the most underrated parts of his game is how big of a threat he was after the catch of Minnesota, breaking a tackle when I believe right around 33 or 34 percent of his receptions, he broke at least one tackle, which is an 
a big, big, big number. That means if, you know, he's got six catches, he forced two missed tackles, that's a ton. And that impact is something that I think is uh, going to be really helpful. Both of those guys are guys that can win over the middle of the field and open things up for Mark Andrews. So I'm not sure which one is going to have a bigger impact. I will say whichever one stays healthier, but it feels like both of them are going to uh, be getting 40, 50, 60% of snaps by the midway point of the year and ultimately be able to diversify the passing offense, open things up for Mark Andrews, allow Hollywood Brown to really go into more of a niche of what he thrives at playing a little bit more in slot, testing teams downfield, and also, you know, generating some yards after the catch with, with some seams uh, that he finds in the defense increases. So I, it's kind of a toss-up to me between Locke and Bateman, which I think might be a little surprising. Some people expect a little more from Bateman. But again, uh, I think that the veteran will provide to be someone who can move the chains, be explosive down the field to a degree, and help out the Ravens offense. So I think both of them will – have uh, somewhat similar production if they play uh, equal amount of, of snaps or games or in similar ballpark in terms of snaps and usage. Yeah, and Spencer, the guy who wasn't mentioned in there who you didn't mention was Tylen Wallace. And to me, it seems like Wallace has a couple of years before he'll probably make a huge impact with the Ravens. Do you kind of share that? Maybe he'll be a game day inactive for most games unless a plethora of injuries happen. I could see him having, uh, you know, maybe a little bit less snap usage than Devin DuVernay did last year. Devin DuVernay was on the field for about a third of Raven snaps last year. And I think that we'll see Wallace on maybe 20 to 30% of snaps. And we can see him having, you know, a, a 15, 20, 25 catch season uh, while, while DuVernay is probably going to ramp up just a little bit as well. So uh, it's, it's tough. Wallace does project to be able to play in the slot as well as on the outside. He looks really good in the slot at the senior bowl. Uh, it does feel like, yeah, he, he's probably going to be a little bit more of a receiver who is, you know, doesn't, wasn't as high as traffic, so he's not going to get as many chances to strike out at first. He's really going to have to rocket at training camp in the preseason, and I'm sure he is capable of doing so. And then he ultimately is going to have to make the best usage of uh, the playbook and understanding timing and developing a relationship with Lamar Jackson, which is tough when you're not getting a ton of first team reps. So Wallace to me is someone that could absolutely see an exponential growth between year one, year two, and then year three, ultimately, uh, while, while picking up some first downs and making a, a handful of splash plays this season. Yeah, I, I could see it as well. I think it just depends on situations and what the Ravens feel comfortable, especially as he's kind of learning the nuances of the NFL game and, you know, just how he will respond to that. But Spencer, moving on to the offensive line, I know that the Ravens, they do have some guys returning, but they did add some new pieces, including Kevin Zeitler, including Alejandro Villanueva, and of course, Big Ben Cleveland, and even guys like Michael Schofield and, and Juwan James, who's not going to play most likely in 2021. But Spencer, out of all those guys, obviously a lot of names there. Who do you see making the biggest impact in 2021? I'm going to have to go with Kevin Zeitler. And Zeitler feels like the perfect veteran to come in, provide stability at that right guard position that the Ravens miscalibrated last year with the absence of Marshall Yonda. It ended up steering them away from really running those downhill inside zone or duo or uh, just general A-gap, B-gap concepts because they didn't have someone that they could trust to consistently move the pile. He also is a great pass projector. He's a veteran. He passes game really well. He picks up on stunts. And it's just going to be a consistent player, a consistent, confident veteran. And he's going to be in a run-heavy offense. So uh, Zeitler has excelled when he's in those run-heavy offenses. And, you know, he was coming off of a year where 
He, uh, from all accounts, you know, I, I watched a good bit. He looked to be very active, but a lot of people are claiming that as his, his worst season of his career. I, I'm not sure of the degree of that. A lot of times the offensive line play, it's uh, you are as good as your weakest link, which as the Ravens know very well from that Bills playoff game and uh, a couple of other playoff losses as well, that when you have one guy, it makes every one guy who really isn't able to pull their weight or is getting exposed or attacked and there's no answer for the offense. It really limits the playbook. And Seitler to me is going to be a major improvement over Tyree Phillips starting this time last year. And then Ben Powers, who I was really uh, pounding on the door for him to get a chance. Someone that I liked at Oklahoma, but ultimately, you know, didn't play himself into a starting job. He, he played okay. He was all right. At times he, he excelled at times. He made some, good blocks in the second level, but Seitler is going to be much more confident. He's a much bigger, faster, stronger, but has that veteran savvy as well. So I think Seitler will make the biggest difference. And then Villanueva, obviously, you know, we're going to see what the, what the situation is between where he's at and playing in this different, completely 180-style offense and what the Steelers ran in 2020. So it's going to be interesting to see that transition. And uh, Cleveland, of course, has really high expectations. John Harbaugh has very high expectations of him. Greg Roman has very high expectations of him. He has very high expectations of himself. And as I said, down in Mobile, he was looking like a different level offensive lineman. It looked like you took a veteran and put them, an NFL veteran, and put them in the senior bowl down in Mobile. He unfortunately has a little, gets a little dinged up and misses the last couple of days. But fortunately for the Ravens, that might have prevented his draft stock from skyrocketing because he was putting on a show on day one, completely stonewalling guys in Passboro one-on-ones he generates movement he can pull so the expectations feel sky high i will say that you know he doesn't have the quickest feet in the world but at his size he has very quick feet so considering how large of a human he is he is quick for his size but still you know might be able to be taken advantage of a, a little bit with some more laterally quick uh defensive lines to try to spread things out a little bit but he, he seemed to pick up game really well he was playing in the sec he was playing at georgia a very pro style run heavy attack and it feels like, you know, Cleveland will be a, a difference maker, such a different body type, such a different play style from Bradley Bozeman as a guard, such a different play style from Matt Skura, even, you know, Bakari, Ben Powers, Tyree Phillips, all of those guys. No one has that ability to really crash and drive a dent into a, a defensive front the way that Cleveland does. He pulls a little bit, as I mentioned, and, and we'll see if he can reach and. Uh, do some things out in space that's yet to be seen as much, but he can move, tested really well, has the athleticism. You know, the Ravens will get him more flexible and maybe a little bit quicker, and, and he can make an impact. So between those guys, you know, feels like Ben Cleveland is probably going to be the starter uh, just if he's healthy, and he just allows them similarly to Zeitler to run downhill to have Lamar Jackson hand the ball off. Ravens have stated they wanted to run more under center this upcoming year. Plays where Lamar Jackson can simply have Pat Ricard and Gus Edwards or J.K. Dobbins line up behind him and turn around and hand the ball off and let them go get four, five, six yards and, and really wear on defense in that way. And that's something that they missed last year, which forced the Ravens to end up using a ton of those, you know, J.K. Dobbins empty formation comes in motion on a jet motion. And then it ends up being a veer where they're basically avoiding running downhill. They're trying to attack the perimeter because they didn't feel strong in their ability to run downhill. So, Zeitler should help with that very much, and so should Ben Cleveland if he's able to do what he's expected to do. And then Villanueva, you know, if he can be somewhere near as serviceable as Orlando Brown Jr., then, hey, 
it's uh, it's a, a silver lining out of that whole situation. And Villanueva, you know, uh, that, that Steelers line, similarly to kind of the Giants line, did not play very well last year, especially down the stretch. But Villanueva was being counted on as, as the left tackle, as the, you know, the, the real number one there. And now he's got a guy named Ronnie Stanley on the other side who uh, appears to be coming back and, and ready for camp and uh, all that good stuff coming up in the future and uh, in, the, in the near future. So ultimately this offensive line has had a big, big, big facelift with Bozeman moving back to center. And, and it feels like, again, I think Seitler will be the, the immediate day one impact player and this year. And then hopefully Ben Cleveland uh, is able to, to man it down at left guard for a year or two. And then once Seitler's contract is over, I would anticipate him to swing back over to that right guard position. And hopefully he's the guy there. So this Ravens offensive line is a lot more balanced, a lot more deep, and appears to have some more experience than it did when you look at this potential starting five. And we're gonna we're gonna throw Cleveland in there. I'd be somewhat surprised if he wasn't, but wouldn't be shocked. But you look at you know Bozeman, a guy who has a couple seasons under his belt. Stanley is an All-Pro player. Seitler is a Pro Bowl level player at times. Who is adept in pass pro and filling the wave has a ton of experience as well. So it's a very experienced line as opposed to a very young line that it was last year and it's a way bigger stronger more assertive line that's the big part with this because the ravens they obviously went through their struggles in 2020 with a younger offensive group or offensive line group as you mentioned but now with that experience bench i completely agree i think slightly will probably be the biggest impact playmaker from the new additions but you mentioned the ravens getting ronnie stanley back and bradley bozen moving back to his natural position those things will also help that will help in the run game. It will also help in the pass game, looking back at Buffalo and seeing Lamar Jackson have a guy on him every two seconds in the in the offensive backfield, whether you know it was him running the football, him throwing the football, or another player running the football. It was tough for him to get anything off throwing the football-wise. So now with that experienced offensive line, I think it will be a lot better for this team. But we're going to head into our first break now. And when we return, we're going to be taking a look at the newcomers on the defensive side of the ball. So stay tuned for that. And we'll be right back. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can check all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all our UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for the runs of the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. We are back with our second segment of this Taco Tuesday edition of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Ostriker still here with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. And Spencer, looking at the Ravens defense, there aren't a ton of new additions. There are certainly a couple, but the Ravens really didn't go and attack the defensive side of the ball in free agency. So really... Most of the additions here come through the NFL draft and talking about the edge rushers first, obviously there are still guys out there like Justin Houston and Melvin Ingram and even Olivier Vernon if you want to go that far. But the Ravens are putting trust in young guys like Tyus Bowser and Jalen Ferguson, but the new guys also, Adafi Owe, the first rounder, and Dalen Hayes, the fifth rounder. Now in terms of who you might think makes more of an impact, I think maybe most people think it's Adafi Owe, but... Spencer, when you look at these guys, who do you personally think will make that impact? And who do you think is going to end up getting more production? Yeah, I think that OA will definitely start out taking a lot more snaps than 
Dalen Hayes will to begin the season. It feels like the Ravens want to get Owe in there on some first and second downs and then probably use him as a weapon on third down on some stunts and some game as a free rusher who has unbelievable athleticism. Uh, Hayes is, is a, you know, he can beat up on some tight ends and he'll win those reps and he can beat backs and all that good stuff. But I, I, I think he's more of a hustle sack guy, which uh, I don't see a ton of get off necessarily, but he did have a ton of run responsibility as well. So it's always difficult to discern in certain situations. And I think that gets lost in translation where, you know, in, in a true passing down on third and long, guys aren't going to have run responsibility. But if you're looking at downs on first and second down, when you go back through Dalen Hayes career at Notre Dame, and expecting him to be flying off the ball, that's probably not his assignment. And uh, a term that I like in that sense is Kirby Smart from Georgia calls it low low gear versus high gear. Low gear meaning I'm going to play the run. I'm going to keep my head up. I'm not going to fly off the line and run myself out of the play and out of the gap. I'm going to I'm going to take my assignment. I'm going to take it slowly, and then I'm going to engage, find the ball carry, and make the play. So when you go back and watch the true pass announcer, Dalen Hayes, you know he has a little bit of get off. I wouldn't say a ton necessarily, but he uh, doesn't doesn't have a pronounced string of pass rushing moves or uh, anything necessarily that really stand out right now. But in those other two aspects, aspects setting the edge and in coverage, I think that he is really strong. Uh, I think he'll learn a ton from Ty's Bowser. And you know, Bowser's not going to play 100% of snaps when you're playing down in the defensive front. It is you know, nobody nobody plays 99 or 100% of snaps. It's too tiring. Guys will literally pass out if they do that. So uh, you know, Judon was playing. 70, 75% of snaps. I think the highest I've seen in the last couple years is Von Miller, I think, played like 89% of snaps one year. So I think that means Hayes is going to get some run. And, you know, maybe they do want to have situations where they have two really adept coverage linebackers. And right now, out of this group, it's probably going to be Hayes, and then it's going to be Bowser. So that that's an interesting package, an interesting personnel. Then, talking about away, you know, he has the length, he has the strength, he has the mobility, he has the get-off, he has all of those tools, and it's just having him understand assignments and read and react a little bit quicker. Uh, the Ravens seem to be very confident in his ability to set the edge and defend the run. So when you're confident in someone's ability to defend the run, you are then you, you then want to give them a lot of chances to rush the passer on first and second down. You trust them to execute their run assignments. So inherently they will end up getting a ton of experience and snaps in the passing games. In the passing league, teams throw the ball more than they run it. So uh, ultimately I think that he will – Take a good bit of snaps. I would think he would uh, significantly outproduce Hayes from a you know tackle and tackle for loss and sack standpoint, most likely. But I do see Hayes making a little bit of an of an impact. And uh, you know, knock on wood, you know, if Bowser goes down, the guy who's going to play Sam is going to be Dalen Hayes right now. So there's a, a window where Hayes ends up becoming a very key player for the Ravens in the event that let's say Bowser misses a couple games, which you know Bowser's been really healthy, but it's football injuries happen. And Hayes is a, a ready player. He looked really, really consistent in coverage at the Senior Bowl. He looked consistent against the run at the Senior Bowl. And, you know, he can rush the passer a little bit. I was surprised to see him fall so far. Uh, he does have some previous shoulder injuries that kept forced him to do a, a late red shirt at Notre Dame. And he did miss some time. But uh, he seems like a very NFL-ready player. And I, I think the Ravens got a steal with where he, they ended up drafting him. And I think he's someone that can contribute on special teams very quickly. Uh, of course, O.A. is probably going to play a fair amount of special teams, especially as a rookie. Uh, and, and Judon played a ton of special teams even this past year. So if a guy has that athleticism, you're going to want them hunting down punts and hunting down kicks and uh, doing all that good stuff. So I think both of these guys get some playing time and O.A., you know, ultimately makes a bigger maybe impact. So uh, these two guys are a good yin and a yang. 
And I think that they'll be solid players for the Ravens in 2021. Yeah, Spencer, I agree. And these guys, like, they're going to be relied on a lot because with each day that goes by and Justin Houston is not a Raven and Melvin Ingram is not a Raven, they're putting that trust into those guys alongside guys like Bowser and, and Ferguson and all those. So I think they will be used quite a bit. Baltimore obviously drafted them for a reason. With Hayes, I know a lot of people were upset that it wasn't Quincy Roche. And they're like, who is Dalen Hayes? I, I, you know, I want a Quincy Roche. He's the Baltimore native. He, you know, this, that. But Hayes is actually someone who I think fills that role really well. You mentioned the backup, Sam. He's going to be a good player for the Ravens, whether he does get a ton of run this year or not as much, but he gets a lot next year. I think he'll be a good player. And oh, wait, I mean, the traits are there. I think he'll be a phenomenal player as well. But Spencer, the Ravens also drafted two defensive backs in that 2021 draft in third round defensive back Brandon Stevens and fifth round defensive back Sean Wade. Now, it seems like both of these guys probably right off the bat won't have a huge role, maybe special teams, but it looks like the team has confidence in them to play at a high level in the event of potential injuries, which the Ravens secondary has gone through quite a bit of those over the past couple of seasons. So when you look at the maybe non-roles that these two have early on in the year, do you think that either of them are going to make a big impact? And if so, who do you think makes the bigger impact between Stevens and, and Wade? Well, you know, a lot of people were taken aback by when the Ravens took Brandon Stevens, but the Ravens really value size, length, and strength in their defensive backs. You look at Jimmy Smith, you look at Marlon Humphrey. Uh, Marcus Peters isn't a big guy, but he's a tall, long guy. And they invested very heavily in him. Going back further, Chris McAllister, you know, uh, Samari Roll, a guy that was not a tiny guy. Uh, the Ravens like bigger cornerbacks. And Ladarius Webb, another one, guy that was drafted high, kind of, you know, came out of nowhere, out of Nickel State, not a small dude by any means. So they like that size. They like that athleticism. They like the, the running back athleticism. And my brain tells me that the Ravens drafted him in the third round. They expect him to be a year one contributor. Is, is my rule of thumb. You, you draft a guy in the third round, you think they can play some snaps right away. Is there a path for Brandon Stevens that doesn't involve injury? I'm not sure of that. I don't think Deshaun Elliott or Chuck Clark are coming off the field. It seems like they want to play him at safety a good bit. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, they're going to put Stevens in the slot in the event that Tavon Young can't go, which we'll see, uh, you know, he's, he's ready to go, but Tavon Young's had a difficult period of time uh, with injury. So expectations are not incredibly high there. And I'm, I'm sure that he's doing everything he can to get on the field. But uh, if he does go down, it feels like Sean Wade is the guy who's going to have a, a, the quickest or easiest path to snaps there. And maybe even uh, uh, without Tavon Young's injury. So I think that the most likely situation for one of those two guys between Wade and Steven to see the field would be a Tavon Young injury. Or if they just like ta they, if Sean Wade shows out in training camp, and Tavon Young, who has not been able to play much football and is recovering from two very serious injuries in a small amount of time. You know, Sean Wade could impress in training camp. Sean Wade could go play his heart out in preseason and find himself some snaps this year. So uh, I think that he is a really interesting player. It was really interesting to watch how the media kind of anointed Wade as a, a first-round corner after Arnett and after Jeff Okuda, the Ravens, you know, might have gotten a diamond here with Sean Wade if he was playing hurt last year and, you know, is able to return to that slot position and, and be a sticky man coverage guy. Bigger dude as well. For a slot corner, he is a big slot corner, and he moved really well. He is also an awesome tackler. Uh, Stevens can, can bring some thunder a little bit as well, but Sean Wade can blow some plays up in the backfield and 
Uh, feels like he might have a little bit of safety type versatility, not necessarily maybe playing a single high or anything, but able to do some things over the middle of the field for them and some shallow hooks and uh, some spot drops. So Wade ultimately, I feel like is the guy that is more likely to get snaps in my, in my gut, but in my brain, the Ravens took Brandon Stevens in the third round. Uh, it was the, you know, one of the last picks of the, the, the day and they end up maybe wanting him to see the field, but he feels more like a developmental player who is stuck in between two positions. And it feels like the Ravens really want to try him at safety and have some sort of contingency plan with for someone that can run, someone that can jump, someone that can tackle and make plays in the event that Sean Elliott can't go or the, in, the, in the event that Sean, uh, Chuck Clark can't go. So I'm curious to see the Ravens plan with Brandon Stevens, but it feels like I don't see him playing much this year. So I'm going to go with Sean Wade. Ultimately, I, I might be very wrong there. So we'll see. Yeah, for me, I think this is pretty situational. You mentioned it, you know, who or if injuries happen on this team, you know, if if it is Tavon Young, if it is whoever it may be, you know, there could be potentially some openings for guys like Stevens or Wade to come in and play significant snaps because, you know, every year it seems like the Ravens start with 50 million corners and end the year with two. So the defensive back room definitely has a plethora of depth, including Stevens and Wade, and we'll see how it ends up shaking out in terms of their playing time. But we're going to head into our final break now. And when we return, we're going to be talking about Lamar Jackson. So stay tuned for that, and we'll be back soon. Available this week only July 6th through 9. Get the new Bilt Bar Flavor Grasshopper Cookie. What does it taste like? This is Bilt Bar's version of the classic Thin Mint Cookie. All the flavors without all that sugar. 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 5 grams of sugar. Did you know that Bilt Bar has so many delicious flavors including coconut, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, orange cookies and cream, and German chocolate. Not only are Bilt Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. Order today and get that grasshopper cookie or raspberry or whatever you like. Go to built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off of your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. We return with our final segment of this Tuesday edition of Locked on Ravens. Kevin Ostriker still here with Spencer Schultz. And Spencer, Lamar Jackson is always a hot topic throughout the entire NFL. And, and sometimes it's very good and sometimes it's very bad. It seems like, you know, the media, you know, everybody can't stop talking about Lamar Jackson for both very good and very bad reasons. And everybody looks at passing yards, it seems like. And passing yards to me are a stat that don't really mean much in the grand scheme of things, especially considering for the Ravens in particular, the offensive scheme that they run and the opportunities and whatever. You know, the Ravens have one of the best offenses in the NFL, and passing errors don't really have a lot to do with that. But I do think QBR is a stat that has a lot to do with certain offenses and their success. And I know that Lamar Jackson has thrown his name in the ring as one of the best in that regard. So Spencer... How do you think QBR affects players like Lamar Jackson? And how important do you think that stat is? QBR is a really fun stat that accounts for beyond the stat line. It accounts for down and distance. It accounts for score. It accounts for estimated points added. So there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of arithmetic in there, a little bit of analytical prowess and formulas in there, uh, an algorithm. So uh, QBR is a, a very solid way of measuring a quarterback's total impact on a game, including context. Um, there's a couple other good metrics. Sports Info Solutions does total points added. And, uh, you know, there's war as well. And there's some variations among that. But QBR generally, you know, guys who win MVPs end up typically having the really high QBRs. Lamar Jackson had an insanely high QBR when he won his MVP in 2019. And 
Uh, that's what ties back into an article that was posted on Blocking the Boys, actually, by the author, author that goes by the name One Cool Customer. And what he wanted to look at was how many games do quarterbacks in the NFL by quarterback have with a QBR above 75? Because if a, Q, a quarterback's QBR is 75 or higher, teams generally have at least a 70 to 80% chance of winning the game if their quarterback has a QBR of 75. And while that does, you know, necessarily not maybe account for line play and some other factors, uh, it does account for the quarterback's rushing ability. It accounts for a quarterback's passing ability. It accounts for context situation down and distance like i mentioned so this gentleman went back and looked at since i believe 2016 all quarterbacks who have started at least 30 games and all and in those games they've had at least 10 passes attempted and he wanted to find how often are individual quarterbacks getting what he called a good game percentage which is a qbr of 75 or above what he found is that patrick mahomes at a QBR of 75 or above in 53.3% of his 45 starts or 24 games, which was number one. And the way that he labeled that was he basically said uh, tier one planet Mahomes. And he described Mahomes for a little bit as a planet uh, that was, his, you know, in his own realm. And then he described Lamar Jackson, who is number two as in Patrick Mahomes orbit or circling planet Mahomes who has put up some astonishing numbers in his three years. He's a 30-7 and seven record. And uh, he said, while Jackson might not be at the level of Mahomes quite yet, the Ravens and Chiefs will dominate this upcoming decade with these two quarterbacks. Because Lamar Jackson was second in the stat, as I said, 47.2% of his games. He had a good game percentage. He had a QBR of 75 or higher, 17 of his 36 starts. So he is higher than Drew Brees at 46%. Tom Brady at 43%. Russell Wilson, 42%. Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, higher than everybody else. Aaron Rodgers, Roethlisberger, you name it. Uh, so Lamar is really the only guy active in the NFL that's within, now that Drew Brees is retired at least, that's really within striking range of Mahomes in, in the amount of games where he really takes over is the best way to put it. If a quarterback has a QBR of 75 or above, they're taking over the game. They're giving their team a really strong chance to win, and the other team's quarterback probably – would have to have another really high QBR in order to win a game as well. So I think that ties into uh, – and the reason you like QBR is, again, because it does measure the quarterback's ability to run the football, where obviously Lamar Jackson leads the NFL in rushing QBR every year, and then uh, in passing QBR he's been consistently top 10 over the last couple of years. And that's why it's always interesting when we reach this time of the year, when it's, it's all, you know, hot takes, talking, and making predictions that aren't based on previous behavior and – trying to, to be the one who got it right and saw something in the dark that no one else could see. Uh, a lot of people start having these conversations. Oh, Kyler Murray is going to have a better year than Lamar Jackson. And, you know, Josh Allen is so much better and all these different things. But when you really go back and look, Lamar Jackson's ability to truly take over games, considering context, is among the best in the NFL. He is one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. People want to be right about their original take on Lamar Jackson. They want to be right that, you know, people, I mean, when you go back to when he was drafted, how many people said that he, he would be just like RG3, he won't make it five years in the league, and here we are, and he's one of the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. So uh, that, that bias definitely enters. But when you go and look at how frequently quarterbacks take over games, Lamar Jackson is right there with the best of the best. 
just behind Patrick Mahomes, who obviously can take over a game very much as well. So at the end of the day, you know, uh, his contract situation is coming up and all that good stuff. And uh, you have Buck, the Bucky Brooks of the world saying that the Ravens should let Lamar Jackson graduate and draft Justin Fields and all that good stuff. And I'm, I'm a big Justin F Fields fan as well. And I feel that he's being slept on similarly to how Lamar Jackson was, but not quite where, you know, he still was uh, picked as a relatively high first round pick and was traded up very high. And uh, the Bears parted with a lot of capital to go get him. But again, another quarterback that I feel is slept on. And I think Lamar Jackson still somehow is just so slept on. And ultimately, statistically, within the offense, with the possibilities that he opens up for a coordinator, with his passing ability, with his deep ball ability, with his intermediate game, with his scrambling ability, you know, with the fact that he turns the ball over so, so, so rarely, which is maybe the most underappreciated aspect of, number one, a quarterback that runs so much, number two, a quarterback that people scrutinize his passing ability so incredibly much. He is so careful about turning the football over, particularly interception-wise. His touchdown-interception ratio is always sparkling. So uh, generally, I just feel like this article, this statistic, this QBR of 75 or above in nearly half of his games shows how often he is simply taking over games. And at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson's one of the best. With this contract situation coming up, he's going to get paid like it. And, you know, I think he's going to continue to go out there and prove that he is an X-factor. He is a weapon. He's an MVP player that plays like an MVP and wins games for his team. I think Lamar Jackson, he, he's just, he's, he's special. And with everybody, I think it's the time of year, you mentioned it, where people are starting to need things to talk about and need things to write about. And all of a sudden the comparisons do come out. You know, you talked about Kyler Murray and it always seems like during, in those quarterback comparisons, it's always Lamar Jackson versus X or Lamar Jackson versus Y. It's never X versus Y or Y versus Y, whatever. It's always Lamar Jackson versus this person. And usually there's some negative thing tied to it. Not all the time. Not, there's definitely plenty of positive out there about Lamar Jackson. I'm not saying there isn't. But it seems like despite everything that Lamar Jackson does on the football field and who he is as a person, you know, will he ever be able to kind of outrun all the hate, you know, will he be able to get away from it all? Probably, you know, probably not. And he's handled it very well. And with what he's been able to do on the football field, I mean, just the, the QBR in particular, it's a stat that people don't necessarily look at when they're looking at quarterback stats. It's again, the passing yards, it's, it's the touchdowns, it's the interceptions, it's how many fumbles did you lose? It's those types of things, completion percentage. But QBR, as you talked about, is a stat that I think embodies a quarterback's play more than I think a lot of other stats. And Lamar Jackson being so high up on that list speaks to what he does each and every week for this Ravens team. And I'm excited to see what he can do in 2021. But Spencer, that's all that I have for you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show once again here. And, and again, we are getting closer to that training camp. We're going to see some of these positional battles unfold right before our eyes. And before we know it, the 53-man roster is going to be announced. Absolutely. And we might see a Lamar Jackson extension before training camp. That's the, the word on the street that Mike Corio is putting on all that good stuff. So we'll be able to break down that contract at some point, it feels, in the near future and get into all that and training camp and training camp battles, position battles, roster battles and all that good stuff so i'm excited for it thanks again for having me on kevin make sure to go give kevin five stars in those itunes review charts if that's where you listen or if you're a spotify listener go share the podcast with a friend with somebody who uh you know 
needs that Ravens daily coverage. Kevin brings you the best daily Ravens coverage. Thank you so much for having me on again, and I will talk to you guys next Tuesday. Thanks so much, Spencer. When we get back here tomorrow, we're going to be answering your mailbag questions, so stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.